Likutei Sichas, Volume 16, the fourth Sicha for Parshas Kisisa. This Sicha is rather a very lengthy one. It has 16 chapters, and I'll just uh, deliver perhaps a excerpt slash synopsis of the main points, the main theme of the Sicha. In this Sicha, will be discussed the trigger for the sin of the golden calf, why it happened, what was the purpose of it, because if you think about it, it doesn't seem to make sense. God had just given them the Torah, and is he, God forbid, such a failure that immediately they went ahead so soon and turned their backs against him and did this terrible sin? And also, we'll find out about the, in general, about the purpose, the objective of uh, of sin in the, and, and, and evil in the first place. Also, the Sicha will debunk the common um, consensus that the righteous, so to speak, the goody-goodies, are the ultimate. In fact, it will tell us that, you know, give us an, a, a true perspective of who has a greater impact or who has a greater effect in this world. Is it that Sadiqim, the righteous, so to speak, the goody-goodies, or the Balei Tshuva, those people who have tasted sin and made a choice and the effort to come back and to return to Hashem. Also, it'll give us a good perspective on the, like I said, about the bad, the evil that's in this world, and what its purpose, what its objective is, and it'll show us how it all depends from what angle one is looking at it. Just to point out that this world, this universe in Hebrew, is called Olam. What does the word Olam mean? Olam. What does it mean? Well, it comes from the root word, of Helen, which means concealment. Because really, in essence, everything is godliness. God created the world. God made every detail that's in this world. And God sustains every detail that's in this world. And therefore, there's nothing separate from Hashem. There's nothing separate from Him. The fact that it appears to be so is only the concealment that Hashem had installed, so to speak, within the world, that it should function in that matter and cover up on the real truth. So let's go into it. In our, in our parsha. After it describes the terrible sin of the golden calf and how Moshe pleaded on behalf of the Jews, it says Hashem relented. And Hashem said to him afterwards, and if you look in chapter 31, verse 1, he says to him, it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe and he said to him, Leich Go and go up from here. Go ascend from here. You and the nation that you have brought up from Egypt. So Rashi comments, and Rashi says, what does it mean, and the nation? Says Rashi points out a very interesting contrast. That previously, that is earlier, in the phase of the story where God was admonishing Moshe for what the Jews did, God said to him over there, Leich Raid, go down, you descend, you Moshe, you're going to go now down to a lower level, you, Ve'amcha, and your nation. And he says over there, Kishiches Amcha, for your nation, your nation that you brought out of Egypt has become debased. What is Hashem saying? What was he pointing out with that? That it's your people, Moshe. When you, when the people sinned with the, with the golden calf, Hashem said to him, you see, you didn't come to confer with me, to get my, my, my input as to whether to bring up these people from Egypt. Who are these people? The Erev Rav, the mixed multitude. Those are the Egyptians that joined the Jewish people and Moshe accepted them. Moshe received them as converts. So you see that during the time of the sin, Hashem, so to speak, 
isolated them. He marginalized them and he referred to them as Amcha, your people, Moshe. Now, is Rashi's pointing out, with this Hashem is saying, with this idiom Hashem is saying, Ata you and the people, that he's now considering them as part, as the general pool of Am Yisrael. And, and the truth is that the Erev Rav, that is the people that Moshe brought up, are really the ones who are guilty in this whole entire episode. In other words, the whole sin of the golden calf did not actually come about and not a as a result of the Jew, of the rest of the Jewish people, or all the six hundred thousand men. And actually, in fact, according to the accounts, they weren't even actively part of it. It was just the eight of Rab. It was just these newcomers who were actively involved, who were the ones who incited it and actually implemented the worship of the golden calf, as the sages tell us that the Jewish people, meaning the rest of B'nai Israel, the rest of the Jewish people, were not even capable of it. And the only reason that they were guilty was by association, because since they did not protest, since they did not try to make the effort to stop it, therefore, therefore, they became also culpable of this, uh, of this terrible sin. But now Hashem is saying to him that, look, I am now going to allow not only forgiveness for the general population of the Jewish people, but also for them, that is your people, the eight of Rav, the mixed multitude that came up on your, on your decision. You're the one who decided to bring them up. Still, I am going to forgive them and going to allow them to join the rest of the, so to speak, the rest of the Jewish people and together with them to ascend up, to go up, together towards the Holy Land. Remember, at this point, they're still going towards Israel, towards the Holy Land. Now, from this comes out something very, very interesting. Number one, the con in conclusion, that most of the Jewish people, if not all, did not sin in the Golden Calf. Number two, it's only the Erevrav, only the mixed multitude who sinned in the Golden Calf. And number three, and here's what's so crucial, for this discussion, from the Erevra, from the mixed multitude, which did sin, there were those that obviously were punished immediately, and they died right away. They were punished. And then there were those, as indicated and as highlighted in this discussion, in this verse, there were those that actually survived. And that's what Hashem is telling him. This, These people that previously I called them Amcha, your people, now I'm referring to them Ve'ha'am and the people. They're part of the people. In other words, they have not become vindicated for the sin, but they have now elevated themselves into higher status. And the question is, here is the million dollar question. How is it possible that for such, such a grave sin, the sin of idol worship, we know that the sin of idolatry is one of the most unforgivable sins. In fact, just as an example, we know that the Torah says that whenever dealing with a capital, uh, uh, with a case that has capital punishment, whenever dealing with it, there always has to be the the um, the uh, allowance for not only the allowance for, but there has to also be an effort made to try to find some merit, to try try to find some leniency in some way. Only when you can't, that's when you reach the conclusion, you put down the verdict for death. 
But in this case, in the case where it's clear that one not only worshipped idols, but incited others to do it, or attempted to incite others to do it, then there's absolutely no whatsoever uh, clemency, there's absolutely no whatsoever compassion, and you have to find every way to find a person guilty and to bring him to justice and to punish them. So the question is, how is it possible that here Hashem says, okay, they're going to go up, they're going to become part of the people. In other words, how were they vindicated? How were they allowed to just go on, not being, not only they weren't punished, but they were now, so this seems to be elevated to a higher status than they were previously. Another question is, when you look closely at the words in this verse, what is the what are the words? It says, Leich alei mizeh, go ascend, go up, mizeh, from here. Well, obviously it's from here. What is Hashem pointing out with the word from here? So to explain all this, in other words, to get a better understanding, let's first introduce the idea, the, co- the, the, the concept, uh, the fact that the sages tell us, quote, that whatever Moshe did, or literally all the handiwork of Moshe is everlasting, is Nitzchi. For example, we know that the tabernacle, about which we, stu- we learned a few weeks, the last few weeks, the tabernacle still exists. It's somewhere there, buried deep, deep down in the caves of the Temple Mount. It's there, and it's hidden, and it's being kept for safekeeping until Mashiach comes. We will one day get to see it. Why is that? Because since it was done under the auspices of Moshe, Moshe was the one who put up the Mishkan, who put up the tabernacle, therefore it's forever. Another very good example, which is perhaps even more realistic, which you and I experience all the time, is the Torah. Moshe gave us the Torah, and the Torah will never change, the Torah will never go away, and the Torah is everlasting. So therefore, it follows that if Moshe was the one who converted these people, and he brought them up from Egypt, and he allowed them to enter the folds of Am Yisrael, that this thing could not have gone to naught, that it couldn't have been totally decimated, that it couldn't have been totally reversed. And that explains, that explains part of why Hashem made it so that some of the people, even though they sinned, even though they were part, they were collaborators in this terrible sin, and yet Hashem made it so that they should be spared, and moreover, that they should be elevated to a higher status, that, that of joining the Jewish people. What is, what is, what is really the whole point over here? The point is that specifically through them, through these very lowly people and through their very lowly actions, now by reversing it, something tremendously elevated took place. In other words, something of the highest order, of the greatest importance, something which could not have come about through the average Jew, came about through them. In other words, it took the lowest tier to reach the greatest heights. What does this mean? So the sages tell us in the tractate of Odazar, which speaks specifically about, about idolatry, about the prohibition of idolatry, they make, they, the sages make a statement there and they say that in truth, that the truth is that the Jews were never fit, they were never capable to do that act, the act of worshipping the golden calf. But they say, what, what is the reason? And Rashi spells it out, so we're going to quote Rashi. He says, quote, It was like a decree of the king. It was like an edict of the king. For what reason? 
to give an encouragement or an opportunity, literally an opening of the mouth, to give them a, a, an ability for those who want to do tshuva, to those who want to repent, those who wish to return. So Chassidus explains that the meaning of this, the deeper meaning of this is not just that it's giving the opportunity of tshuva for future generations, that they should take, so to speak, a, a cue from what happened then, that even then, even in the worst act that they did, at the worst moment, still that they had the ability to do tshuva, but rather, Chassidus explains on a deeper level that this means that they themselves, meaning those people who were there, who experienced the giving of the Torah, who experienced this great, tremendous spiritual high, they themselves, for them, this whole thing happened. In other words, Hashem orchestrated the whole thing. He inflicted it on them in order that they should become elevated to the level of tshuva, that they should become elevated to the level of experiencing tshuva and accomplishing what tshuva accomplishes. Why? Because as far as they were concerned, they were not capable of any sin. And therefore, they would never have accomplished what tshuva accomplishes had they not been, so to speak, pushed off that cliff of falling in to this terrible sin of idol worship or becoming associated to it, they would have never achieved the great heights that tshuva accomplishes, that tshuva achieves, which they did after the fact of having of having sinned with uh, the golden calf. What is so special about tshuva? What really is so special about tshuva that for that Hashem made that they should slip, that they should fall, and like we said, it's a decree of the king, it was like an edict of the king, it doesn't, it's not something that makes sense, he forced them into it, so to speak, only to bring them to the tshuva. What's so great about tshuva? The answer is that specifically, and only with tshuva, are we able to elevate the lowest of the low? We're able to take the lowest of the low and bring him to the highest of the high. You see, somebody who goes on the straight and narrow has no connection to these lowly things. And therefore, he never can, never ever would find the ability or the opportunity, not even remotely, to be able to bring them up. He has no connection to them. He is so far from it. The only, perhaps, connection that one who is on the straight and narrow, one who's a tzaddik, one who's a righteous person, who always does the right thing, the only connection that perhaps they may have to these lowly things is only a negative one. The fact that they negate it, that they push it away, but they never come in contact with it, certainly not enough to be able to, so to speak, grab it and elevate it. However, a Baal Shuva, because they slipped, because they fell to the lowest of the of tier, and because they have contact, direct contact with these lowly things, now when they turn it around, as the sages tell us, Zidonos, even the most felonious acts, Nasim Kizachius, they become like merits. Because now they're now able to elevate it. In other words, not only do they negate the bad, that in itself is not enough. Because that doesn't do anything for the bad, it just pushes it away. But the Baal Tshuva is able to elevate the bad. The question is, why is this something that only the Baal can do? In other words, if you think about it, this is such a great feat. This is such a great accomplishment. This is an amazing thing. To be able to take something that appears inherently to be evil and bad, to be something that's against Hashem, and take it and bring it so close to Hashem, and elevate it, make it pure. Why is it that it's the Baal Shuvah specifically who's able to accomplish this, and not the Tzaddik who is so righteous, who is so special, who is so pure? The answer is, 
if we look at the Achtus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we look at the Achtus Hashem, which means the oneness, the unity of Hashem. If you look at the unity of Hashem, it's obvious that it's not possible for anything to be separate from Hashem, from anything to be not only separate from Hashem, but certainly not even again, and certainly not against Hashem. It's just not possible. It's not fathomable. If Hashem is one, Hashem is everything, and everything is Hashem, then how is it that there is evil? So there are two aspects in this. You can say in the one hand, you can look at it from one perspective and say, bad is not a true existence. It doesn't really exist. It doesn't really exist. And how does this get expressed in the service of Hashem? This is the service of a tzaddik, where he negates it. He doesn't even consider it. He doesn't have anything to do with it. It doesn't exist. It's bad. It gets pushed away. Because it cannot be a true existence because it's not in line with what Hashem wants. And therefore, it seems to be a plurality. It seems to be something separate from Hashem. And Hashem is one and the tzaddik is one with Hashem. So this stuff doesn't exist. But then there's another way of looking at it. There's another perspective. And that is when you look at the bad and you don't see the bad but you see that which energizes the bad, that which causes the bad to exist. What causes the bad to exist? Nothing can exist on its own. And everything in order to exist needs to have a godly energy. So the this perspective looks at the godly energy that's in that. The good, or like we call, refer to them, the sparks of holiness. And now when you reveal those sparks of holiness, when you bring them out, now it becomes revealed that this too was part of Hashem. That this too is connected and one with Hashem. And that is the service. That is the service of Hashem, the avoda of a Baal tshuva. The difference between these two, you know, between the tzaddik and the Baal tshuva, In other words, how did this come about in their mode of service of their mode of service of Hashem? How does this actually come about in their inherent beings? The answer is as follows. You have to look at the point of reference and the direction, so to speak, the, the trajectory of what, where they're coming from and where they're going to. You see, what is the purpose of a tzaddik? The purpose of a tzaddik, his objective is to bring godliness into the world. Or in, in terms of Hasidus, taking from above and going below, taking it down below, taking what's above, taking godliness and bringing it down into the world, drawing it down. Thus, the world becomes the point of reference for the tzaddik because he's looking down at the world. He sees the world. now, And therefore, he sees things from the perspective of the world. Since the world is the objective, he sees the world and he sees things from the perspective of the world. And when you look at the world and from the perspective of the world, all these bad things, all these evil things are indeed separate from Hashem, are indeed against Hashem. And therefore, he sees it as such. And therefore, the only way for him to deal with it, the only way for him to serve Hashem through those things is by negating them, by having nothing to do with them, by pushing them away, by discounting them, by ignoring them. However, what is the avoda of a Baal What is the trajectory of a Baal His thing is to take things from very, very low and bring them to the highest of high. In other words, where is he looking? What is his point of vision? What is direction of vision, so to speak, spiritually speaking? He's always looking up. He's always looking above. And he therefore he sees things the way they are up there. 
the way they are from the perspective of Hashem Himself, not from the world's perspective, but from the perspective of spirituality. And therefore, what do they quote-unquote see? They see the world, obviously within a good place, not while they're sinning, but when they're in the port, in the, in the, in the, in the level, in the mode of Bali Tshuva, that's when they see things as they look from above. And therefore, from that vantage point, there is nothing separate from Hashem. And everything is Hashem. And you only have to bring out the godliness that's in there. And that's what they do. And this can also help us understand something very powerful. You see, the sages tell us, they make another statement about the sin of the golden calf. And they say, how did it come about? In other words, what really triggered it? in the subconscious of the Jews. You see, because during the Matan Torah, during Mount Sinai, the Jews had tremendous revelation. And they were able to see up into the heavens. And one of the things, amongst the many things they saw, they saw the Kisei HaKavod. They saw the, the God, so to speak, holy throne, which sits on the Merkava, on the holy chariot. And each corner of the chariot, there's another image, there's an image of another animal, of another being, which represents very godly and holy and, and, and spiritual levels. And they, what they saw there was they caught, what caught their attention was the shore, the ox, the pnei hashor, the face of the ox that's on the char- holy chariot. And that later brought about the calf, which is the child, so to speak, of the ox. And of course, the question is, what's going on here? This doesn't make sense. How can such a holy and lofty thing, how such a great, great, great revelation like they had, which no one else ever merited to have outside of that generation, how can that be the trigger for such a terrible sin to go against Hashem and to create an Avodah Zorah, an idol of the golden calf? Rather, the answer is that this is what's really telling us is that specifically because of the trigger of Matan Torah, because of this great revelation, and they soar up high, and they became connected, and they had this great realization of what's going on up there, specifically because of that, you come to the ability, and therefore the possibility becomes real to be able to elevate even the lowest of low. And how did it come about? How did it come about? It came about specifically through the lowest of the lowest of the low, and that is the um, the Erevrav, those people that Moshe, Moshe brought up that seemed to be so distant from, from everything and anything. And in fact, they were the ones who orchestrated the golden calf. They were the ones to become elevated. They were the ones who, through their becoming elevated and back in the fold of the, of the, of the army Israel, of the people, they with themselves, they elevated also all of the holy sparks. And this explains why Hashem says to him, Lech alei mizeh. Go alei. Alei means go up. Ascend. Mizeh from this. From this, from Matan Torah. From this whole episode we learn, from the giving of the Torah and the revelations that happened then, and therefore the re- that resulting in being able to elevate even the lowest of the low, the greatest elevation of possible, which is to take the most lowest tier and bring it to the highest of high, that is Mizeh, that is from this. And just very briefly, the Rebbe says that this also connects, as we know, the Haftorah. That chapter which we read from the prophets, preceding the reading of the Torah, 
the Haftorah always connects to the theme and highlights the theme, the general theme of the parsha. In this week's Haftorah, we have the story, this famous showdown on Mount Carmel, where Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet, he called all the priests of the idol of the Baal, that unfortunately most Jews fell for, and most Jews were worshipping, and he called them for a showdown. And what did he do in this showdown? He took two cows, and he told them that you make your altar, we'll make our altar, your altar will be for the idol, our altar will be for Hashem, and see which God is going gonna, is gonna to send down fire. And what happens, the Medrash tells us, that when, when the cow that was designated for the idol worshippers refused to budge. It didn't want to become an accessory. It didn't want to become an agent of Avodah Zarah, of idol worship. They're going to slaughter it for the purpose of Avodah Zarah. And it didn't want to go. It didn't want to volunteer for this until Eliyahu Anavi went over to the cow. He spoke to the cow and he said to the cow, just like my sacrifice, my offering is going to exalt God's name, so too are you going to exalt God's name. And the Rebbe says, here you see the same theme. The theme of, you are going to hit, they're going to pull you down to the lowest of low. But because of the result, what it's going to do and the effect it's going to have on the people, this is going to bring to the exalting of God's name in a manner that my offering can't even do because I'm offering it directly for Hashem. In other words, you are going to reveal a deeper greatness in Hashem than even I can do or my offering that I'm offering directly for Hashem. And the Rebbe says the lesson for us is that you have many people that seem to be occupied or they, their focus is on those that are already observing the Torah, those are already in good standing with Jewish observance and so on. But when it comes to the sinners, not to someone who wants to already shows some signs of wanting to return. But when it comes to the very lowest of low, when it comes to the Jew that seems to be so distant, they seem to have an apprehension, they seem to have a, a great reluctance in even having anything to do with them. And he says, says the Rebbe, from this you see the lesson, that it's specifically through them, through that Jew that seems to be down in the dumps, that is the Yid that you can bring up, you can elevate. And he is the one who has the potential. He or she has the potential of elevating more than anyone else, more than you yourself, the person who is bringing them closer to Yiddishkeit. Again, this is just a summary of the Sicha. It's well worthwhile to learn it in detail or to, hear, to, to listen to some of the lengthier renditions of the Sicha. This is just a synopsis.